Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flares here with another episode of Sly Flares' Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. Today, we are running the Session Zero of Scarlet Citadel. Scarlet Citadel is a kobold press dungeon delving adventure, an old school dungeon delving adventure written for the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons. I've had it, I've read it, I'm excited to run this, and I talked to my group. We just got finished with a, a long Numenera campaign that we ran for a little less than a year and now we're going to go back to fifth edition DD. we're going to move the scope and the scale down to a big dungeon underneath a local town very greyhawk style very temple of elemental evil sort of style uh kind of fun cool adventure so in today's show we are going to talk about what that session zero is like how we help our players get prepared for the game the conversations that we have with them during the session zero and how all that goes while we're thinking about how we're prepping for the scarlet citadel this show like all of the work of Sly Flourish is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons of Sly Flourish get access to all kinds of exclusive material, exclusive adventures, the City of Arches sourcebook, material to help them run their D&D games, video previews, a dedicated Discord channel, all kinds of things. Most of all, they help me put on shows like this. So to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. If you want to become a patron, there is a link down in the show notes below. When I do session zeros, I have a particular format and a particular way that I run them. And I, and I find that they have run very well i'm it's i'm always refining how i run a session zero every time i run them but i run i don't know 20 or so session zeros for for campaigns over the years maybe you know i don't know maybe not that many but i've run a lot of them so they keep getting a little bit better every every time they, I, I constantly am tweaking how i do a session zero but there are a few things that i like to do in the session zero of 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 a game the, f the first one, one thing I do is about what is the prep work I do before I run a session zero. And there's a couple of tricky bits with this. So one thing I do is I create a single page campaign pitch document. I do this in Word. I have a template for this. If you want the template to build your own one page guide, you can become a patron of Sly Flourish. Patrons of Sly Flourish get access to the Word document. The PDF version is available to everybody. Anybody can download the PDF and see what it's like. You can, of course, build your own template if you have your own design. But if you're looking for this particular design, you're like, I like this one and I want to use that one. You can get access to this plus a lot more by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. So I like to sit down and I have a particular format for this for this template of particular things that I want to have on here. And I, I put this together usually a week or two before the campaign. I read the campaign. I think about how it's going to go. I think about what it, what the themes are, what kind of the big things are. And then I sit down and I write this one page guide. And the idea behind the one page guide is it's something players will read. You give them one page, tells them everything that they need to know about the campaign, everything they need to know about building their character, all the considerations that they want to have, some, some base house rules about how you're going to run your game. You put it on one page and you, you, you send it to them. We'll talk about sending it to them. So an example for this Scarlet Citadel game is I, I like to have like one paragraph where I just say, here's what's going on in this game. And I, and I try to make it a little fantasy and a little flowery. This is like the back of the book. You go into, you go into a bookstore. I don't know if people still go into books. You go on Amazon.com, you read the description. You're like, I don't know if I like this book. You read that description. That description is the hook. It's got to be the thing like, wow, that's exciting. Once a fortress where wizards honed their eldritch craft, the Scarlet Citadel now holds a sinister reputation. And for good reason. The the dungeon's well-trod stairs have seen few return from their journeys below. Now malevolent creatures spin shadowy webs, enchant foul magics, and summon forth dark gods. But for those brave enough, ancient treasures and secrets still lie scattered everywhere. I think I took that directly from the back of the book. If I take a look at my Scarlet Citadel book, I would not be surprised. 
if that is exactly the back that that is the blurb on the back of the book so my thought is like if it's on the back of the book it's not really much of a spoiler and you can put it in the in the guide so i did that right i stuck that in the guide make it nice and pretty and that way my players read it and they go oh so that you know dungeon delving dungeon delving beneath the thing they get an idea then i have this idea called the truths and a lot of times i like in 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 return of the lazy dungeon master i say the six truths they don't have you don't have to have six Maybe it's only three. Maybe it's, you probably don't want more than six. I, I, I think more than six, it's getting really complicated. But you could do 10 if you, if great big campaign, great big campaign world, you want to have 10. Just recall that by the time you get to like the seventh, they're not going to remember the first one, right? That's a 10 is a lot. Six is pretty good. So in my case, for Scarlet Citadel, I really came up with four. And four was fine for me. Four is enough that the players are going to understand what's going on. It's all going to work out. And those four are that, lo- that located on a tribu- tributary of the Templine River in the southern Magdar between Pelzenheim and Shio. Red Tower is an unremarkable logging settlement by itself, but is better known as the launching point for adventuring expeditions into the infamous ruined castle and cave complex nearby, the Scarlet Citadel. So it gives a little bit of location stuff as it relates to Midgard. It kind of talks about where you are in Mid- Midgard. I like to use a lot of proper names for things. I like to make it unique in the world. And that idea of the Templine River, Southern Magdar, Pelzenheim, and Shio. I actually should probably get a map. One of the things we ought to consider. Let's see if I can actually get a map for this. There is a really good map that Cobalt Press has. This is the Midgard map. It acts like Google Maps. And you can do a search for it and you can zoom in and find out where things are. So right there, we can see like, where does it relate? And I always like to like, where is it compared to Zobek? So it's southwest of Zobek by a good distance. And they, of course, it's their own adventure. So of course they would, they would add it in there. So now we have this sort of nice map of what's going on. And I'm going to grab this right now. I'm going to save that to the desktop. We're going to go into our campaigns and go to locations, and we're going to say map of the, or the or region around Red Tower. And we're going to upload an image. Isn't that cool? So now I've got my little map that shows where the Scarlet Citadel is, what the other big towns are, what else is nearby. Gives a nice regional map. My first location that I've added to it. This Midgard map, which I will link to down in the show notes below, is a wonderful way to really familiarize yourself with the world of Midgard, see what's where, see where things fit. I always like to say, like, here's here's that other, like, where does it sit in relation to Zobek, I think. And in fact, I think I like this map better because it shows where Zobek is. Zobek is sort of the, the capital, it's not really the capital, it's like the unofficial capital city of Midgard. It is sort of the focal point for the campaign world itself. A lot of stuff happens in Zobek. So knowing where Zobek is and knowing where your place is in relation to Zobek, I think, I think works really well. So we have a lot of proper names. The second of the truths, the Scarlet Citadel is a peculiar growth of layer upon layer of tunnels, defensive halls, hidden crypts and labs, and many secrets buried deep below the surface. It's many years of rich magic interwoven with blood and betrayal. Scarlet Citadel is, a de- is deadly. Even the most heroic adventurers may find they need to flee to survive. That's an important point that I want the players to recognize. This is a deadly, this is a deadly place. An old family of sorcerers known as the Holzangers Holzangers, Holzangers rule over the quasi-independent region, conscripting humans, sages, and dwarves to build the massive redstone castle, now known as Scarlet Citadel, over 250 years ago. 
The site of the Scarlet Citadel is potent with ley line energy. The Titanic White Road runs fewer than 60 miles to the south, and lesser ley lines crisscross the region. Over the centuries, the, this power brought many mages, sorcerers, dwarven ring forgers, and ley magic sages to the site. So those are all four things that are known to the region. Any, anybody who spent any time researching this place at all would know these four things. Thus, I don't mind the players knowing these four things. It doesn't necessarily mean their characters know those four things. They don't, they don't necessarily have to know them. But the players can know them. And, and if you talk to any, any, anybody who's been in the region and has talked about the region, not, not like every farmer is going to know about the ley lines or the politics of the region. But... Anybody that's spent any time at all researching would be able to find this information. There is no history check needed in order to, to know that this stuff is there. So then the next section is your character in Red Tower. Let's zoom in on that. And this is where I really like right early on, I want the players to start thinking about how their character fits with this campaign. And one of the things that I do that I feel really strongly about and that I think really works well is I do give their characters a motivation to play in this game. I tell them this is why... When you're building a character, you want to have this wired into your game. You don't want to be the kind of guy like, I don't have any desire or need to go into Scarlet Citadel. Okay, you go off on another adventure. Build a character that does, right? Whether native to Red Tower, the White Forest nearby, or a traveler from a distant land, your journey to the Red, Red Tower stems from your drive to engage the adventures beneath the ruins of Scarlet Citadel. Perhaps you sense a great danger lurking deep within the depths. Perhaps you seek to understand the junction of powerful leyline magic intersecting at the site. Perhaps you simply seek the treasure and mysteries hidden in the halls below. Whatever guides you to the region, you seek to join forces with your fellow adventurers to uncover the mysteries lurking beneath Scarlet Citadel. Am I railroading the characters? I don't think so. I think that I, we, if we've all made an agreement ahead of time and we have that we want to play this adventure, then they should build characters that are built to engage in this adventure. And this is that paragraph that tells them how to engage. Why they want to go there. What's driving them to do so. Maybe it isn't something they want to do. Maybe it's something they feel like they have to do. But there is a reason for them to want to go and dive and delve deep and face these dangers. Because frankly, it's a terrible idea. If you find out like, oh yeah, lots of other people have gone down here and you're going to get killed. That's a terrible idea. So there should be a driving reason, whether it's ambition, whether it's mystery, whether it's treasure hunting, whether it's being you know getting pushed there by some other force. There's some reason for you to go to the Scarlet Citadel. I want to make that clear. I make it clear in my session zero notes. When they're, when they're thinking about it, and I make it clear during the session we talk about that. And I make sure that when they're talking about why they do it, I can nip in the bud anybody who's like, well, I'm really, an, I, I, you know, I'm more of like a sage who's kind of interested in stuff, but I don't really like getting my hands dirty. And I'm also kind of a loner. I don't really like working with like, You need to have a reason to work with other people to go there. Maybe you can be all those things, but you better have a motivation that still drives you to go with your, your things. And that's not up to me to help you with that motivation. You, I will help you with the motivation early on, but it's not up to me to constantly draw your character into this adventure that you already agreed you want to do. Luckily, I don't really have any problem with that these days when I do this kind of thing. Everybody's kind of on board. So then we get into the nuts and bolts of actual character creation. I like to describe what are the kind of boundaries for character creation when, when making our adventure, when building this campaign out. So in this case, I wanted to use, and I've talked about this on this show before, I've talked about on the, the Lazy D&D &D talk show before, that I really wanted to bring in other 
Cobalt Press character books so that the players can play around with some third-party character options that aren't just the stuff published by Wizards of the Coast. And I also wanted to take some of the stuff that Wizards of the Coast has put out and set it aside because we've used it a lot. So we've already used a lot of the Xanathar stuff. So let's take Xanathars out and let's look at stuff from other from other sources. So for this campaign, you, they can choose character options from the Player's Handbook, the 2014 Player's Handbook, Midgard Heroes Handbook, this great big brand new Heroes Handbook, and Tome of Heroes uh, by Cobalt Press. I'm sorry, Midgard Heroes Handbook is a smaller book, but it's focused on Midgard stuff. Toma Heroes is a great big book with lots of character options. So all of the, these three books together are more options than you would have if you had Xanathars and Tasha's and the Player's Handbook. It's lots and lots and lots of subclasses, lots and lots and lots of races, lots of material, lots of spells, lots of stuff. So it's really packed with a lot of material. And by not having Xanathar's Guide and not having the subclass and spells from Tasha's, it moves the players to try out these new things, to try out these new spells. We're not just going to go immediately to Toll the Dead. Now we're going to try some other new spells. So it's a way, it's not a nerf because frankly, some of the stuff that's in these new books is really powerful. In some cases, broken. But it's a way for us to really, to really try it. I, I mentioned the fact, and I have talked about this on the talk show before, that one way that I can help my players use these options without having to spend a lot of money buying PDFs for one campaign for one small set is I can share the PDFs with them over Google Drive and limit their ability. I, I can I can limit them so that they cannot download it and they cannot print it. So they can only view it on Google Drive. It's sort of the equivalent of like what D&D Beyond does where you can share campaign material over D&D Beyond. It's also the equivalent of what the publishers that are putting their material out here are able to do on Roll20. On Roll20, you can share stuff through the PDF compendium, people in your group. So I'm only sharing it with the people that are in my group and they cannot download it and they cannot print it. So they can look at it. And then when they find character options that they like, we can like print out those pages so they can keep them with their characters. But that way they don't have to drop a lot of money on these books. I already bought, I actually bought, I think three copies of them already. So I own multiple licenses of this work. And that's how I share that stuff out. One tricky bit that I have though, is there are things from Tasha's I really like that I consider to be quality of life changes for fifth edition. And I want to include those. And, and so I mentioned that you can use the class options and the ability allocation rules from Tasha's, but not the subclasses or spells. However, the player's handbook conjure spells will be replaced with the Tasha's summon spells. That's because the conjure, the summon spells from Tasha's are way better than the conjure spells from the player's handbook. So there's like little bits of my, like I'm taking a piece, like a couple pieces from Tasha's. You can use the flexible ability score adjustment things from Tasha's. You can use the class features, not the subclass features, but the class features from Tasha's because there's some good there's some good stuff there and you can use these a couple of these plug-in spells where they definitely work better in Tasha's than they do otherwise we're going to use the main one and then I have my one big disclaimer specifically because I got lots of material I have not re read and reviewed should any character feature prove disruptive to the game the DM and the player will work together to find a solution i.e. if you find this weird combination of things and it's really making it hard for me to run the game it's 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 hard for other players to enjoy the game we're going to stop offline i'll say hey this weird combination of abilities it's great but it means that like i can't ever run this particular kind of monster again because you've got this this thing is there some way that we can work on this you know and we're going to house rule stuff as we go but i'm not going to do it in a vacuum i'm not going to just arbitrarily do it if other players are like no nah, it's really not a problem then maybe it's not a problem but, you know, otherwise we're going we're gonna to work on it because, frankly, there are so many spells, so many new character options, so much stuff in these other books that I have not read, not seen in play. I want to have some safety net to say, hey, if it turns out that this thing is really disruptive, can we, can we come up with another solution? And we'll see how that goes. I mentioned that characters begin at first level. They calculate ability scores. You can use the standard array or point by, but I have a simpler array 
which is if you don't want to use the standard array point by, you don't want to monkey around with stuff. You just want a standard array that includes your racial ability modifiers. You can do 16, 14, 14, 12, 12, 8. 16, 14, 14, 12, 12, 8. That already includes your modifier. It gives you one good juicy ability score, two good size ability scores of 14, two decent ones that are 12s, and then one dump stat. And I like having the dump stat in there because it's kind of fun to have one thing you're bad at. It's kind of, it makes for a, a fun, well-rounded character. What's the one thing you're really good at, one thing you're bad at, and then a nice curve otherwise. And that includes the racial bonuses, which means you can just apply them and you're done. You don't have to do any modification. You don't have to be like plus two here, plus one here, monkey around with point by. It's a much easier system to just say, bang, here you go. We are using material, because we're using material not in D&D Beyond, I've talked about this on the talk show before, consider using paper-based character because there's so much material here that isn't in D&D Beyond, I really recommend using paper-based character sheets. I've tried using D&D Beyond and I've had trouble. And I describe that I have, I have, I'm using more words in here than I would like to talk about this. And, you know, I say, should you follow the dark path of D&D Beyond? Note that it offers character options outside of the sources allowed for this campaign and doesn't always tell you that it's from there. So you're really, and if you choose to use D&D Beyond, when you're picking things for your character, go look at the specific source books. Don't just do it from the character builder. Because if you do it from the character builder, or you do it from the compendium, like a class compendium, it's going to show you stuff that's not from the player's handbook and not the stuff that we've agreed to. It's going to show you stuff from all of the other sources, and you won't know which is which. It's particularly true with spells. It's particularly true with feats. It's particularly true with subclasses. Really easier is look at the direct book itself. Look at the source of the book that you, you want. Read through those sources and, and, and pick on that. So that's something I, I have had trouble with this in my Empire of the Ghouls game on my Wednesday group. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be paying particular attention to it for the Scarlet Citadel game. Choose to verify character options from the above source books before selecting them in the character builder. Because if you try to do it and pick stuff from the character builder, you're probably going to pick stuff elsewhere. And then I have my section. This is a default section on safety tools that we use for the game. So one is pause for a minute. I've described this before. At any time during the game, anybody, DM or player, can say pause for a minute. Is everybody okay with where the game is going right now? Are we good with the decisions that people are making? Are we good with the path that's taking? Are we uncomfortable with a situation that's occurred? I, I did this yesterday. I ran a game yesterday and somebody was doing a thing. I said pause for a minute. This is this is the situation. Went, okay, great. Then went back. So pause for a minute is really, really handy X card style safety tool, but it's not just a safety tool. It's any way for, for anybody to basically break everybody out of the game, talk about something player to player, and then say, okay, we're back into the game again. And so pause for a minute. Are we okay? Like I had a player yesterday whose character jumped down a hole before anybody else could do anything. And I said, let's pause for a minute. Let's, let's pause for a minute. Is it, are, are we okay with the fact that they did this? And they're like, well, it wouldn't have been my first choice. I'm like, I know, but they did it. It, do we need to roll that back or are you okay? No, no, it's okay. We'll go with it. So, so it really, it really, it really works. I guess I have a typo in there. I'll fix this. I'll fix this later. Sensitive content. I know, I know there's a misspelling in sensitive content. You do not have to comment in the YouTube video about how I misspelled sensitive. I'm good. And what I try to do is looking at the adventure, kind of getting a scope of the, what are some of the things that are in there that you might consider sensitive content? This is that little disclaimer at the top of your Netflix show that just tells you what to expect. And Scarlet Citadel is an old school adventure. It's got a lot of grim and gritty sort of stuff in here. So there's some specific things that I wanted to bring up and say, here's what is going to be in this. Are we all cool with that? And that's like villainous torture. You're going to have torture from bad guys committing torture to other people. You're going to have uh, body horror, villainous mind control, 
evil cults, ritualistic murder, spiders, rats, and claustrophobia. So what are the things in there that you can say like, you know, is anybody like, I really don't want to have torture. So then we say, okay, what stuff is veiled? And by veiled, we mean we're going to talk about it, but it's going to be, we're not, we're not going to dive deep into it. And examples of veiled stuff are the, like the scenes of torture. I'm not going to have 20 minutes of me describing how somebody's being tortured. You will might see the results of it, or you might hear generally, but I'm not going to get into the, I'm not going to get into the grim and gritty fingernail, tearing fingernails kind of stuff. Then slavery, racism, bondage, discipline, consent. Well, I need to update this because this is for my Empire of the Ghouls game. You don't have to worry about bondage, discipline, consensual state of masochism. That's not in this one. That's in my other one. So I need to update this one because that's not actually the stuff that's in this adventure. That's the stuff that's in the other one. And then I have like lines. These are things that we will not have in our campaign. And the things we will not have in our campaign are non-consensual sexual contact or harassment, player-initiated torture, player-initiated racism, violence towards non-hostile, violence towards children, misogyny, transphobia, homophobia, or death by exposure those are lines that we do not that, that we do not cross in the game and then of course we say what are any what are any other things that we that we have in our game while i'm thinking about it well i can't really do it i'll, I'll, I'll I, I gotta remember to update this before i send that out but i'm gonna i have to a lot of this stuff is probably still true with scarlet citadel but we don't have the non the, the non we don't have the consensual sadomasochism stuff because that was in empire of the ghouls chapter one seem to hang on to that quite a bit. So that is the one page guide. Now my trick is, one trick I have is I do not send this guide out to players until about two days before the campaign. And the reason why is I don't want them coming with fully fleshed out characters ready to go when they don't know anything about the adventure they're going to do. Because one thing I've learned from all of the players I've played with is the minute you say, hey, we're going to play a new campaign, boom, they're already off. They're already thinking about what they're going to do. They're already thinking about new adventures are going to go on. They're all, all right, I want to do their different builds. Oh, what if I did this kind of build? They're already thinking about it. And I'm like, I don't even want you to know what sources you're allowed to use yet because I'm going to tell you that you're sorry. Oh, I, but I picked, a, I picked a Xanathar class I really like. Sorry. You know, I don't know what to tell you. And I tell them ahead of time, do not build a character. Another trick that I've started to use, though, is if you need to, if you cannot help yourself, build two characters and love them both, but you're only going to pick one. And that way you at least come with two variants and hopefully one of those variants will fit better into the game than the other and then you can kind of pick that one. But better is come fresh. Don't, don't, don't even think up a character until you sit down at the game. We'll talk about what we're going to have and then you can start to think about like, do I want to play a fighter this time? Classes, you can pick like a class makes sense, but don't think about the detail. I don't want like 12 pages of character backstory before you even know where you're going to be in the world. That's what I try to avoid. So I try not to send this out too early so that they're already building characters. I don't want to give them enough time to really build a deep character until we've done so at the table. Because during our session zero, that's when we make characters. That's when we build the characters. And while we're building them, the players are talking about it. And they're like, what if both of us are together? Oh, you're a dragonborn, so am I. What if we're siblings? Wouldn't that be cool? Right? Oh, you're from that land? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm your apprentice. Like maybe you're this guy and I'm an apprentice. There's all kinds of ways that the players can start to bring their characters together and draw connections between them to say why are you together and what are you doing inside what are you doing here in this town getting ready for this event we figure all this out during the session zero we talk about the land we talk about the location we talk about the events we talk about the characters and they are building their characters together to they're building their characters together in order to in, in order to make this game in, more, in order to make the game as fun as possible so that's how the one page guide works and is there anything else that we do for a session zero Let, let's actually look at 
Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Because I think it has a whole section about session zeros. Running a session zero, chapter 17 on page 50. So what do we do in a session zero? We describe the world. Again, we've done so in that guide. We manage expectations. We talk about what's going on there. We tie the characters together. So we can use this, and, and some of the prompts that are in here, the tying the characters together, we can bring those prompts up as DMs because one of the things the DM can do while the players are talking about their characters is when we start to see the connections, we could go, ooh, what if your character was there? And they go, oh, that's a good idea. Or, I don't know if that fits. Okay, well, what about this? We can offer this up. So having these, these prompts that we can use, which are here in the book, siblings of, saved by, served with, protected by, adventured with, friendly rival of, childhood friend of, magically bound to, survived with, escaped with, apprentice of, acolyte of, idolizes, drinking buddies with, business associates of, lost a bet to, indebted to, trained by, dueling partner of, or on the run with. These are great ways to sort of connect characters together through their backgrounds. So that's really important. You can also tie them to a single faction. I don't think we're going to do that for Scarlet Citadel. One thing you could do is have like a group, like a, a, a patron, a primary patron who's like the person sending them on their way. I don't think with Scarlet Citadel, I'm, I'm necessarily going to do that. Like it's possible that an NPC could sort of become one. You could certainly do it with, with, with Scarlet Citadel, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think, I think it's going to be more traditional adventuring group where they're, they're motivated by self. A lot of times, the interesting thing about a patron is it's a great way to tie characters together initially. And then they kind of forget about the patron. Once the group's together, once they're on their adventures, maybe they check in once in a while. It's rare for the patron to make a big stand, which is fine because the patron's not the hero. The characters are the heroes. But I've noticed players are like, yeah, I remember we used to have that patron i haven't talked to him in a while like yeah it's okay but it definitely sometimes that that they they disappear guide characters towards cooperative adventure i bang this drum a lot and then run a quick adventure i don't think i'm going to run the quick adventure today and the reason why is that my session today half of it is going to be us talking about our last campaign and then half is going to be about this so i don't expect that we're going to start I don't think we're going to have an adventure today. I think our session zero is just going to be session zero. And then next week is when we'll start in the city of Red or the, the village of Red Tower and start to get them on their on their way. So that is so, yeah, I think we I think we've covered what we what we need for this. So why don't we take a look at Scarlet Citadel itself and start to think about what we're drawing together and what makes sense. So I mentioned Scarlet Citadel is written by Steve Winter. Steve Winter is a longtime designer of Dungeons and Dragons, all the way back to Second Edition. He is a, he was one of the designers of the Second Edition of D and D. So he has been involved in D and D through Second Edition, Third Edition, Three Point Five, Fourth Edition, and now Fifth Edition. And and now he works for Cobalt Press. He is he edits a lot of the material that comes through Cobalt Press. So he's been involved in D and D for what? 30 years or something like that. He has some interesting stories about, about what it was like. There was some interviews with him about what it was like to run second edition. And he's like, we knew about incremental math. We knew that it would, the incremental math would have been different, but we, at the end of the day, we decided to stay with negative armor classes and, and, and stuff like that in order to do it. But it was really, it was really kind of neat. So it, it's very much an old school adventure written by Steve Winter, but it was built when you look at this adventure, it's very much like a Temple of Elemental Evil kind of adventure, only written and built with like modern design ideas. So it, the maps are very, very beautiful, the beautiful full color maps, not like the black and white kind of old blue, blue border sort of maps. 
the adventure is built for adventuring. There's a lot of quality of life stuff that was kind of built in here that's built for adventuring, but it still has that old style of the game. One of the interesting things about, about Scarlet Citadel is my understanding is that it started with the maps and worked its way outward, which is actually an interesting DM tip that a lot of times when you're thinking about like what inspires your adventure design, starting with the map and then building the adventure around the map is not a bad way to go. It's actually a very common way to go. And for Scarlet Citadel, that's exactly how they did it. They, that they started by commissioning, drawing and commissioning maps and then combining these maps together into an adventure and writing about how they were connected later. There's a couple times they've done that, but I thought it was an interesting, it was an interesting approach towards how, how this adventure got, got built. They talk about the fact that it's an old school adventure. They talk about that it's a, I think there's six levels. Yeah, there are six levels of it. And then the characters will kind of go in and out of, of various levels. That's going to be interesting to run. I'm a little nervous about like, I've never run a mega, I think this counts as a mega dungeon. And the closest I've ever come to running a mega dungeon before was the Tomb of the Nine Gods from Tomb, from Tomb of Annihilation. That's kind of a mega dungeon. It's a really big dungeon. But even that one had like seven or eight levels of play before you got to the dungeons. In this case, it's like from level one to level whatever, you're going to be going down to this dungeon. I forget how, what, what the highest levels are, but like, I love these like side view maps. I, I always dig these maps that kind of show how the dungeons connect, you know, how, how they connect. It's very, very Dark Souls style maps. I really, I really, I love layered I love the idea of layered maps. It talks about the old school ways of understanding how to see stuff, how light works, how sound works, how how you handle traps and stuff like that. That that is, you know, that that's a big piece of it. We are going to make heavy use of the maps in here. I have digital versions of the maps. Let me let me pull up an example map here. So here's like an example of the map, and we're going to make heavy use of this maps. I'm probably going to I'm going to probably be using Albert Rodeo to do all the maps. My players are all familiar with Albert Rodeo. I love Albert Rodeo. It's really easy for us to to drop drop these maps. And that one's called Dungeon and Family Crypt. We can do the the non the non Dungeon and Family Crypt, and that way we can they can explore it. They can explore it like an old school map. I think it's really going to be fun. I'm really I'm really eager and, and looking forward to running this because one thing is I love running dungeons and it's interesting that there are there are players or there are there are definitely DMs who do not like running dungeons and some of it is probably personal preference and some of it I think is like well how do you how do you run it right I think that that I think that that is I think that 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 has a big play and and there is some stuff like does it get just too grindy if you're poking every five foot square with a stick is that like how do you handle that but I'm pretty good about abstracting that sort of thing and saying like you don't feel that there's any danger here and that way we can kind of move forward and they don't have to like check everything but there's definitely like traps and things that can be a miss and it's going to be interesting to play with that and I'm going to mention that like traps are going to be dangerous and that we're going to use heavy use of maps and things things can happen so be be careful only one check is allowed that's probably something I want to mention that like once you make a check for something if you fail it it's not like everybody else can come and check after that that's not how it works so good good stuff on how trap I might even like share this section with them because it's probably useful for them to understand the rules of how we're going to be running this adventure as much as me and this one doesn't have spoilers in it necessarily so it might not hurt to kind of share this this you know share this stuff i think i might i might consider that what else character levels and advancement i'm going to be doing so they talk about like levels they i think they're presuming experience based but i think the default dc is provided those times oh yes they have on the fly dcs 
I'm, I'm checking to see if they have any options for milestone. And I don't, I don't know that they do. I can't remember. Not milestone, but, but situation-based. So I'm probably going to level them up at certain, at certain points. I'm probably going to say, when you reach a certain point, you will hit a new level. Because that's, I, I, I don't like tracking experience points. You know, I'm lazy. I'm a lazy dude and I don't like tracking experience. It'd be kind of interesting to do it, but also we don't have players that are in and out. So having like separate players with different levels of experience, I don't really worry about. And I just, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, there's part of me that's like, oh, I should try using experience points again. But like, I've done it before and I know I don't like it. One thing they mentioned is that there could be opportunity for sub quests and things that they do outside of it. So that could certainly take place. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of base that. But I think that, that we will be doing, what do they call it? It's not milestone leveling. Everybody gets upset. I'm sure I'll see YouTube comments about, oh, milestone isn't what you think it is because milestone isn't what you think it is. It's sort of like event-based leveling, I think is what they call it. And the idea is that you gain a level when certain events take place. And I think that's probably how I'm going to run it. That I'm going to, once they start to understand the quests that they're going on, the things that they're doing, I'm going to turn those into like quest cards. And the quest card will say like, when you've completed this quest, you reach second level. They have a nice chapter about Red Tower. I read through this. Red Tower is kind of an interesting place. One, one tricky thing. I was talking to my friend Richard Green about it. And he's running Scarlet Citadel. And he had a recommendation about like how far away the Scarlet Citadel is from the town because it's not actually on the map. That That is something I was like, really? You can't just put it on the map? Like, I know that there's a, I know that there's a desire on the part of writers to leave options open for the DM to fill them in and say like, this could be, you know, this could be this other way. But just give me a suggestion, right? Even, I, I can change everything anyway. So you don't need to put a thing in there that says, we decided not to tell you this, but because you can pick. No, instead, just give me a suggestion. If I want to change it, I'll change it. But, but do the work for me. So like a piece of work that they kind of make you do in this one is where is the Scarlet Citadel compared to the tower? Why not just have it happen? Like what direction is it? It's kind of funny that you're looking like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And you're like, oh, it doesn't say. Big history of the place. That's kind of a lot of this history is like good things for the secrets and clues to pick up, things for them to explore, you know, things for people to explore that work. There's an opportunity for some bandits, so you could certainly have a initial encounter where they run into some bandits along the road, along the you know, along the way to Scarlet Citadel, or maybe they're on their way into Red Tower. Maybe they're coming into town and they get jumped by bandits. That, that's certainly that's certainly an option. Might be fun to do something other than bandits, though. Use some other kind of creature from the Kobold Press books. One of the things that I like to do when I'm running a game like this, particularly one where I'm using source material that's not from Wizards of the Coast, is I like to use a lot of material that's not from Wizards of the Coast. So I want to make heavy use of Toma Beasts 1 and 2, Creature Codex, Toma Beasts 3 will hopefully be coming out anytime. And I can use stuff from Toma Beasts 3. So that's four different other monster books that have lots and lots of different things that I can use. And I think it'd be really fun to drop in these kind of monsters that players are not familiar with. They're also a little bit more dangerous than your standard fifth edition monsters, which I kind of like. So instead of bandits, maybe we pick something else from one of the other, from one of the other books. I don't know what. And I think part of the first session, I think the way that I want to run the first session, and we'll talk about this next week when I'm actually doing the prep for the next section, the next session. And actually, this this map is a really good a map to give to the players so that they they have their copy. We have a nice map for the village of Red Tower, so that way I can give it to the players. And oh yeah, so see, Scotty says Richard Green recommended a seven hour trip one way to get there and back. It makes it harder for them to get back and venturing and and get back with adventuring and a long rest. It makes it harder to get there and back with adventuring and a long rest. Yeah, so you kind of that's a good that's a very good idea. 
So we got a nice map, and we're, I'm going to give this map to the players so that the players know what's going on and what location that's going on. I think that I think that that will be that will be very handy. You want the players to be familiar with the location. I can describe all the different like places that they can go, and you know it gives them a nice home base that they can that they can return to. You know, I think that that will be I think that'll be a lot of fun. Then I think the way the adventure starts. Of some they have this kind of cool every day each day the party spends exploring the outskirts of Red Tower check to see if they encounter anything so they have like a nice random encounter table here but I think it'll be fun to add in some other stuff particularly adding in monsters from other Cobalt Press books like kind of replacing instead of having like you know have like you know weird the, those weird rat the clone rats you know weird weird fun monsters they haven't seen before I think is a good option I mean one side you like you want to run a traditional D and D adventure because it's very written like a tra traditional D and D adventure. That means making, you know, classic monsters exciting again. But also there's like opportunities to, to use a lot of different Cobalt Press monsters. So level zero, the ruins above. I ran harpies yesterday and I get to run them again. Harpies are fun. A lot of hard stuff. If they get here at first level and they're fighting owl bears and they're fighting harpies, that's going to be really hard. My group was fighting harpies at second level yesterday. It was really hard. So it could be it could be pretty tough, you know. And I think I think that it will be definitely interested. Ah, oh, Sussy Scotty has a link to Richard Green's blog for. I will link to that. I'll link to the to, to his experiences with it. So pretty straightforward adventure, I think, on the on the on the first one. But I might, you know, because I'm a I'm a big softy. So many DMs out there who like embrace their hard nature. I just don't think it's that fun getting killed at first level by an owl bear. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. You know, and, and maybe it's like it's more interesting if you have to deal with the owlbear and, and figure out how to get around it without it getting killed. In in the days of EverQuest, I played a ton of EverQuest. I don't know if anybody remembers EverQuest. EverQuest is a massive online game from the late 90s into the early 2000s. It's still around today. But it was from the late 90s, like 99 to in early to mid 2000s that I played a lot of EverQuest. I played 9,900 uh, 9, hours of EverQuest. Didn't quite hit 10,000 hours of EverQuest, but I played a ton of EverQuest. And I one of the things they had in EverQuest in the design was a thing called zone sweepers. And the idea was that you would have these zones where you'd go and you'd fight monsters and get experience and get treasure, but they would have these really big, really nasty monsters that would wander by and you just you would want to avoid them so the example was they had oasis they had a desert area called oasis all the everquesters like oasis i love oasis and in oasis you'd fight a lot of skeletons but there were there were sand giants that would apparent that would and they were now i think back they were racist as hell but they would have sand giants that were walking around the desert and the level that you were there was like in your early teens, but those sand giants were like, yeah, the Oasis of Mar. The sand giants were like 20 levels higher than that or 15 levels higher than that. So it meant that if you were there to get experience fighting the skeletons, the sand giants were way higher level than you and they would just stomp you in the dirt. And on occasion, you would be like hunting your skeletons like, like good citizens and some jackass would train the giants to you and you'd all have to run and leave the zone. And it was really fun. And then there was a tower in the middle that was loaded with specters. And they never went around. They didn't walk around like the sand giants did, but some jackass would sometimes aggro the specters and then drag the specters down the beach and kill everybody too. So then every so often you'd have 
high level heroes, like I, I used to do this a lot when I was high level in EverQuest, I just go and hang out there. And my job was like, you guys can go farm your skeletons. And if those specters of those giants come by, I'll take care of them. And I, it was just so much fun. And it was, uh, the game was really built around this idea of like the community had to solve the problems that the game had. So they had no way to buy and sell stuff. So the community got together and set up their own bazaar where you'd go and stand and sell stuff. They called it the, it was the, the, the Eastern tunnel, Eastern common tunnel was like where you would go to buy and sell stuff. And it was really interesting. But that idea of a zone sweeper is something that you can almost take and put into your D&D game that you can have areas where it's like, yeah, there's other goblins and there's other there's other rats. There's other things that are there. But the they can you could have one big monster that's wandering by that the characters can definitely see and know that it's there and know like if we fight that, we're going to die. But they then that gives them an opportunity for them to kind of run and and move around and not stay in one place. So the idea of like an owlbear wandering through the woods when you're first level is not so bad. As long as there's other things to do there other than dodge the owlbear. And, and then they have an opportunity to deal with the owlbear. I think that, I think that that can work. So <clears throat> yeah, somebody else brought up that the, the zone sweepers in world of Warcraft was in hellfire peninsula. They had the fell the fell reavers, these huge mechs, these huge like hell furnished mechs. It was really cool. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, I mean, next week when we're actually into the game, I'm going to look at the level zero ruins and say like at first level, does this make sense? Or should I level them up to second level? I think I might get them up to second level. Cause I know you can fight harpies at second level. I just, we just did it and not get killed. You could probably take out a bugbear at second level and not get killed. But that, you know, I think, I think giving them a little bit more meat so that they're just not getting creamed at first level. Cause it's so, it's too easy to kill first level characters, second level characters. The danger is still there, but it's not quite as risky. So I think that that's what we'll do. So I guess the question I have for myself, is there anything else that I need to do for my session zero? And I don't think so. It's going to be a fun conversation. I've got material. I've got my campaign guide all set here. I'm very excited about that. And I, I think we're ready to learn about these characters and then go off on our adventures. So next week, we will talk about the first adventures for my group as they go through Scarlet Citadel. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get weekly D&D articles sent right to your inbox along with a free Adventure Generator PDF. You can support me directly on Patreon and help support shows like this and also get access to an exclusive Discord channel, video previews, tips to help you run your D&D game, a lot of guides, like things like the, that you saw in the Lazy DM's Companion. There's a lot more material like that available to patrons. The City of Arches sourcebook, exclusive adventures, all kinds of material that you get for a pretty low price on Patreon. The link for that is in the show notes below. You can pick up my books like Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's Workbook, and the Lazy DM's Companion, all in beautiful print versions. They are available in the Sly Flare store. That is in the show notes below. And you can share this video with your friends, subscribe to my channel, like the video, comment on the video, send the video around, talk to people about how much you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.